The incident rate for COVID-19 infections has trended up and down from the beginning. At every downturn, I think, finally, they're running out of idiots that help spread the disease, and soon we'll have it under control. But then the idiots come out of the woodwork or wherever it is they come from, and the infection rate starts trending upward again. What a way to achieve herd immunity, though. Go for full population exposure, and those that don't die are presumed to be immune. That's harsh. Brutal, but at least as effective as, as a fast-track vaccine. Look, I get that people want to protect, preserve, and enjoy their freedom. We all do. But it's unethical, immoral, and irresponsible to seek expression of one's personal freedom at the expense of other people's personal freedom. Part of the contract of living in a civilized society is to obey, is to obey society's rules. Sure, you have a right not to wear a mask, but you also have an obligation to stay the fuck away from other people until you put one on. A recent online poll asked if Donald Trump's face should be on Mount Rushmore. In a total departure from my usual stance on all things Trump, I'm actually in favor of that. Yes, Trump's face should be on Mount Rushmore. In fact, it should be splattered all over Mount Rushmore. But what remains of the Cheeto burrito under Mount Rushmore so that those of us who actually give a shit about the country and the world can go about creating a society that has a better chance of surviving global warming and ecosystem collapse than the one we have now. Getting that done will require making radical changes to the way we do everything. We must reimagine and rethink every aspect of government, every department, every agency, and every institution and insist that government functions be reprioritized in ways that serve and protect planetary life support systems as the highest priority, that serve all members of society on a level playing field as a second highest priority, and that define and regulate businesses and corporations in ways that help achieve the first two priorities as a third priority a prime directive, if you will, for the 21st century and beyond. A complete change of mindset is where change begins because it's the key to surviving the wave of disasters that unbridled capitalism has unleashed upon the world. It won't be an easy task, but don't construe that to mean that it will be an impossible one. Minds have been known to change when a light clicks on. Hi, I'm Phil Hansen, and you're listening to Full Stop Hard Left Turn, a podcast that maps the political minefields of socioeconomic change in the age of overpopulation, climate change, and emerging pandemics. Full Stop Hard Left Turn advocates for radical social, political, and economic transformations to create a more advanced society and further human evolution. You know, things like establishing global peace, increasing working class prosperity, maximizing human potential, 
protecting and restoring the environment, and preserving our sanity as well as our species. Those kinds of things. Full Stop Hard Left Turn is brought to you courtesy of Anchor, the free podcast hosting platform that makes it easy for anyone to start and run a podcast using any device. Well, maybe not a toaster or an electric can opener. Just saying. Get to Anchor.fm and let the experts guide you through the startup and production processes. If you're looking for a new challenge and are ready for change, podcasting might be your next big thing. Anchor.fm The incident rate for COVID-19 infections has trended up and down from the beginning. At every downturn, I think, finally, they're running out of idiots that help spread the disease, and soon we'll have it under control. But then the idiots come out of the woodwork, or wherever it is they come from, and the infection rate starts trending upward again. What a way to achieve herd immunity, though. Go for full population exposure, and those that don't die are presumed to be immune. That's harsh. Brutal, but at least as effective as a fast-track vaccine. Look, I get that people want to protect, preserve, and enjoy their freedom. We all do. But it's unethical, immoral, and irresponsible to seek expression of one's personal freedom at the expense of other people's personal freedom. Part of the contract for living in a civilized society is to obey society's rules. Sure, you have a right not to wear a mask, but you also have an obligation to stay the fuck away from other people until you put one on. One of the first things you'll notice about this podcast, other than poor voice quality, is that I bash capitalism often and without apology. There's a reason for that. Another thing you'll notice is my tendency to tout socialism with about the same frequency that I bash capitalism. There's a reason for that, too. All will be made clear. A third thing you'll notice is that my thoughts tend to wander all over the place. Can't be helped. I operate on the premise that it's impossible to connect all the dots while traveling in a straight line, and that without all the dots, one cannot make sense of the tapestry of life. Three-dimensional thinking, critical thinking, requires length and width and depth, qualities that I hope to bring to this podcast in order to form a complete picture of what a future of hope could look like as opposed to a picture of despair under the status quo. Jump on board and buckle up. You're in for a wild ride. Oh, and prepare yourself for a full-stop, hard-left-turn experience. The only thing you stand to lose is the way you think. Recent events have me thinking about the level of insanity that inspires much of today's political discourse. Sure, politics has always been a little bit crazy, but in today's politics, the crazy is off the charts. What's worse is that on those two rare occasions when the crazy lets up, the stupid takes over, ensuring that the assault on those who are not the elite continues uninterrupted and unabated 24-7. 
Relentless bullshit, in other words. Most of it coming from Republicans and right-wing media. But that's not to say that establishment Democrats haven't dished their share. They are, after all, the left wing of the Republican Party. When you pull back the curtain, what you find is that the same group of corporate elites are pulling the strings of the puppets on both sides of the aisle. That's right, the two-party system is a charade. More than half of the Democratic Party and all of the Republican Party are the two arms of the Capitalist Party. It doesn't matter which party you vote for, either way the capitalists win. However, a win for capitalists and capitalism doesn't automatically confer a win for the economy, the working class, or for society as a whole. It just means that the rich get richer and everyone else gets poorer. Donald Trump, the tweeter and twit now an illegitimate, if only temporary, possession of the White House, is not the change we seek. He is, however, a catalyst for the change we need, and that will suffice. Despite being a shit show of corruption, malfeasance, incompetence, dishonesty, ineptitude, and greed, the Trump administration has served and is serving useful purposes. It has exposed inherent weaknesses and fatal flaws that are hardwired into the capitalist system. It has revealed elected officials' predilection to serve and serve the corporate interests that fund their campaigns rather than the interests of the voters that elect them to office. A huge side benefit of Trump's reign of error is that when he goes down, the entire Republican Party will likely go down with him. Most important of all, though, is that the Trump administration has inspired peaceful citizen protests and then turned them violent all across the country and beyond. Those protests will change the way people do business in the world. We do indeed live in interesting times. Peaceful demonstrations are the first resort tactic of the left to protect, protest the status quo. Turning peaceful demonstrations violent is the first resort tactic of right-wingers pro to protect the status quo. Small difference in spelling, big difference in ideology and methodology. The right doesn't have a cogent, coherent argument to carry on the debate defended to defend its position. All it has is brute force and violence. Unfortunately, on too many occasions, that seems to be enough. What is it that Donald Trump's supporters like about the man they almost elected president of the United States? Do they like that he's withdrawing the U.S. from the World Health Organization in the midst of a global pandemic? Do they like that he withdrew the U.S. from the Paris Climate Accords in the midst of a global warming crisis? How about gutting National Environmental Policy Act and Environmental Protection Agency, Agency protections in a time of environmental crises? Or removing Endangered Species Act protections from numerous critically endangered species during a time of extreme biodiversity loss? Yet another crisis. We're selling off our public lands to petroleum miners for pennies on the dollar. Every stupid thing Trump does is okay with them. He's their man, sent by God, so they believe, to fuck up Americans who aren't them. Even though many of Trump's supporters need health care, that Trump wants to abolish the Affordable Care Act is okay with them. 
Trump's their guy. Even though many of Trump's supporters rely on Social Security, or will in the future, that Trump wants to slash Social Security obligations by $30 billion is okay with them. Trump's their sugar daddy. Even though Trump wants to starve the USPS into privatization, his supporters are okay with that too. It's not like they need an affordable and reliable postal service to send and receive mail. Because only people who know how to read and write are likely to make frequent use of the postal service. Getting rid of it or privatizing it won't inconvenience them in the slightest. If it's okay with Trump, it's okay with them. Trump's their man. Kneecap the postal service? Check. Elect election tampering and voter suppression? Check. Roll back environmental regulations? Check. Nullify Endangered Species Act protections? Check. Sell off public lands and resources? Check. Defund and privatize public schools? Check. Shutter public libraries? Check. End public radio and television? Check. Illegal assassination of foreign officials? Lock and load. Trump goes about making America great again by undermining the only things that ever made America great to begin with. A good, but far from perfect, public education system. A social security system that serves the needs of retired people, of disabled people, and of survivors. A national park system that protects millions of public wilderness acres in their natural state. And a postal delivery system that's both the pride of Americans and the envy of the world. Trump wants to privatize all of these, and if he can't privatize them, he wants them gone. It just goes on and on. Under Trump, every government program or agency that benefits ordinary citizens or protects the environment will either be privatized or eliminated. Every standard of decency violated and every federal law broken. But his supporters are okay with all of it because Trump's their man. With the COVID-19 pandemic dominating the news over the last few months, many of us have lost sight of the fact that climate change is still a work in progress. Coronavirus didn't replace or even displace other drivers of human extinction, but as a relative newcomer, it has proved itself to be a more immediate threat. Imminent rather than merely inevitable. Global warming, Climate change and surplus population are still at large, however, doing their insidious work. With climate change, overpopulation, environmental and ecosystem destruction, and now COVID-19 raging out of control, capitalism finds itself increasingly unable to cope. Having bumped hard against the reality of environmental limits, capitalism has no way forward. Adding to capitalism's dilemma is a recently emerged COVID-19 pandemic, which, in addition to threatening lives, also threatens to topple an already teetering economy. Together, environmental destruction and the coronavirus act to suppress the economy in ways that capitalism has never experienced before and can neither long endure nor overcome. Many capitalist oligarchs will soon realize that in its current form and under the conditions in which it must currently operate, the economy as we know it is incapable of making a full recovery or even significant progress toward a recovery, and that public bailouts are key to their survival. 
If the oligarchs want bailouts, they should get them. With strings attached, of course. Many, many strings. The coronavirus running amok provided us with a unique opportunity to demonstrate how easing economic activity based on extraction, production, and transportation leads to measurable environmental improvements. Now is the perfect time to contemplate capitalism's many shortcomings, the, the impact human economy has on current form, in its current form, has on the environment, our national disdain for socialism and all things socialist, and whether collectively we have the maturity, wisdom, courage, and imagination to create a less destructive, less, less stressful, more fulfilling and happier society in which all of us can live and thrive. Change is coming, it always does. Nothing stays the same forever. Change is evolution in action, the winding path that connects the present to whatever future awaits us. Some people fear change, others embrace it. But regardless of how you feel about it, change is going to happen. It's inevitable. Change is evolution, and evolution is progress. To cling to the past is stagnation, to return to the past is regression. How you respond to change is the thing that matters because your response is not only of primary importance in shaping your personal future, but in helping to shape our collective future as well. How we respond collectively will change the arc of human history. The future is largely determined by the things we do or don't do today. Past and present actions form future states of being. The things we do now will either lead to a better future for all or to no future for anyone. The choice is ours. Let's make the right one. Because capitalism depends on unrestrained economic growth for its survival, when a capitalist economy stops growing, capitalism's economic engine sputters and dies. When vast numbers of consumers stop purchasing consumer goods for any reason, capitalism goes on life support. The government bails out troubled corporations and often entire industries, using astronomical amounts of taxpayers' money, which is paid directly to those corporations. Corporate executives then rake off a large portion of that money, pay themselves bonuses, and congratulate themselves for a job well done. Wait, what? Only a capitalist can make sense of this. Wouldn't it be a better strategy to put the bailout money directly into the hands of consumers and let them decide through their purchases to let the market decide which businesses and industries survive and thrive and which ones fail? As it turns out, this is a mixed bag. On the one hand, you have the pent-up demand of the least paid members of the working class and the long-term unemployed and the newly unemployed for the basic necessities of life. You know, things like food, housing, adequate clothing, access to medicine and medical care, a new e-bike to replace a gas-guzzling clunker, things like that. On the other hand, you have the pent-up demand for once common among all consumers for things one doesn't really need but thinks would be really cool to have. You know, things like a new Porsche to add to one's growing fleet of exotic cars, 
or a new Gulfstream to fly on the daily commute, or a new yacht big enough to serve as an aircraft carrier in times of war, or as a portable landing field for the new Gulfstream in times of peace. Unlimited spending on unnecessary toys is one of the driving forces behind ecological environmental disaster. Overheated capitalism is an ecosystem destroyer. So, to answer the question regarding strategies for channeling bailout money, putting enough money into the hands of struggling people to enable them to survive the economic downturn is a good thing. The money they spend on necessities filters through the economy and gives it a boost. However, putting too much money into the hands of, hands of consumers may not be a good thing because it too often results in frivolous spending on unnecessary items that, even though such spending provides economic stimulus, severely trashes the environment. A better alternative would be for government to render financial support for those who are in danger of slipping through the cracks of a wildly out of balance and rapidly disintegrating capitalist economy by providing them with sufficient amounts of money to help ease their financial distress and arrest their slide into extreme poverty. Additional money can and should be provided to bolster social services. For example, education and health care and public infrastructure projects that create jobs and benefit society as a whole. An enlightened, progressive, democratic, socialist society can and will do these things because it recognizes economic value where capitalists see none. Under no circumstances should corporations be handed free money. If a corporation needs a bailout to stay financially solvent and asks for a handout of public money, taxpayers' money, those funds should be made available to them, of course, on condition that the public receives an ownership stake in the corporation equal to the value of the financing provided, collateral, as it were, to guard against collateral damage. If the public's money is at risk, corporate money should be at risk, too. A failing capitalist economic system sheds the marginalized on society's outer fringes before marginalizing society's next layer of expendable citizens and pushing them to the outer fringes. As an economic system, capitalism only succeeds until it ceases to grow. When growth stops, the economy stalls and then it starts to contract, and soon thereafter it completely unravels. Economic conditions for the working and middle classes on the decline throughout the Reagan administration and every administration since have 0% chance of making significant gains under the current system. Zero. Despite economists' claims that the economy is recovering, it's not exactly true. Replacing 100,000 lost $20 per hour jobs with 200,000 $9 per hour jobs is still a net loss for the economy, not to mention a net loss of federal revenue. Just because Wall Street sees economic growth doesn't mean that the economy experiences similar growth across all sectors. And it sure as hell doesn't mean that the working class receives any of the benefits of such growth. 
Another odious sign of capitalism's failing struggle to survive as a viable economic system is the overall decline of living standards for working class people and for the middle class people who now face the threat of widespread business failures in the aftermath of COVID-19. Legions of homeless people, the long-term unemployed, the newly unemployed, the millions who now lack health care, and the millions more who lack access to affordable higher education, have been abandoned by the capitalist economy that no longer finds value in their knowledge, skills, and work. Capitalism, in consigning roughly half of the nation's population to live in poverty, is failing in every area and on every front. Wouldn't now be a good time to let it go? The more things stay the same, the more they tend to stay the same. The longer things stay the same, the longer it takes and the harder and costlier it becomes to implement the changes that must take place soon, that should have taken place 40 years ago if we are to avoid the worst consequences of peak and post-oil, global climate changes, and numerous environmental and ecological disasters, not to mention the pandemic that has much of the country running on idle. Increased corporate influence offer the making and carrying out of government policies and regulations has been good for corporations and their capitalist owners, but not so good for everyone else. In stacking the economic deck in their favor, the wealthy elite, less than one-tenth of one percent of the country's total population, have captured a majority of the nation's real wealth and launched themselves into the economic stratosphere of extreme wealth and power. Meanwhile, those of us who are neither rich nor famous live out our lives in increasingly less quiet desperation amid the toxic legacy left behind by those who are rich and famous, or infamous, or whatever. It is long past time for the economy to evolve. Socialism, regardless of how you feel about it, is the next stage of economic evolution. The U.S. government of today can best be described as a corporate kleptocracy, or better yet, a corporate kleptocratic cacistocracy. To put that in simpler terms, the least competent corporate thieves are running the government. This is not sustainable, let alone desirable. For some reason, Republicans remain blind to the truth oblivious to their own hypocrisy, impervious to reason, and fully committed to achieving their goal of reducing the USA to third world status in the shortest time possible. In the time of Trump, U.S. power and influence, and the respect of other nations that the U.S. once enjoyed, have diminished to the point of imperceptibility. Are these the reasons why the U.S. military, unable to get the job done overseas, have been ordered to bring the chickens home to roost, so to speak, to launch yet another forever war, only this time against the American people? I'm betting they can't get the job done here either. The problems airing out of population growth have festered for too long. They cannot and will not be resolved by blind adherence to the long discredited, 
never proven to work solutions posited by the Republican Party. You know, the regular regulatory rollbacks and policy changes and legislation that take place right after Republicans take power and just before everything turns to shit. The capitalist party has a twofold agenda to further enrich already obscenely wealthy elites at the expense of everyone else and to further consolidate power into the hands of their corporate masters. How else can you explain Republican obstructionism in Congress when a Democrat rules the executive or Republican nihilism throughout government when a Republican sits in the hot seat? Compared to other first world countries, the U.S. lags far behind when it comes to health care. You can thank hardcore capitalism for that. Education? Don't get me started. You can thank hardcore capitalism for that too. Homelessness? Hey, we have a trifecta, but it doesn't stop there. From climate change to environmental destruction, from endless wars to the endless misuse of dangerous technologies, and from high cost to low quality and everything that matters, U.S. capitalism is the lifeblood of social injustice everywhere. An in-depth analysis of social and environmental conditions as they relate to the economy implicates capitalism as a prime suspect behind virtually all of society's many woes. We can and we must do better than that. Ronald Reagan was full of shit when he said that government was a problem. Well, he was mostly full of shit anyway, but that's beside the point. It would have been more honest and more accurate for him to say that bad government is the problem, good government is the solution. But no, right-wingers can never be that honest and forthright. Government, per se, has never been the problem. However, government controlled by corporate oligarchs has always been a problem that can only be resolved by removing capitalism's corrupting influence from the political sphere. When that problem is taken care of, government, good government, along with a ma major economic overhaul, becomes a, solution, becomes a solution to a litany of woes that define the current human condition. Changing the money supply from debt-based to asset-backed currency is a beginning point for creating a socialist economy that includes everyone and excludes no one. It will facilitate the transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy end economic insecurity across the entire population, end homelessness, expand health care to everyone, and ensure better health outcomes and the forfeiture of family farms and the dominance of big ag over our food supply, end militarism and the pursuit of empire, and impact education and the educational system in positive ways that propel it to the top of our social and economic order. In the past, a dearth of imagination has held us back. Going forward, unleashing our imagination will put us on a clear path to creating a sustainable, environment-friendly society. Don't fear the S-word. Embrace it. Let's be clear about one thing, and maybe several things come to think of it. 
The U.S. defense budget is a load of crap, a total scam, a long con on the American people, and a blatant ripoff of American taxpayers. The U.S. military budget is not about national defense, but rather about funding sufficient military capabilities and operations to commit offenses against other nations in the defense of U.S. capitalism. War is a profitable, profitable enterprise and endless war even more so. What a way to run an economy. If we had a democratic government and a socialist economy, shit like this wouldn't happen. Wouldn't happen because it couldn't happen. Corruption is more than the beating heart of human misery. Corruption is a cutworm that gnaws at the roots of government and politics. It's the rendering knife that guts the economy. It's the poison that wilts social progress before it has a chance to bloom. When you get corruption out of politics, out of government, and out of the economy, you create conditions under which a better world can flourish. When asked by reporters to rate his response on a scale of 1 to 10 to the COVID-19 pandemic, Trump replied, I'd rate it a 10. I think we've done a great job. What? Only Trump and his deluded right-wing supporters could possibly think that an incompetent non-response equates to a great job. Please, Mr. Trump, can you explain why the U.S. ranks number one globally for COVID infections and fatalities? Can you explain why the U.S. ranks below all other developed countries in mounting a successful strategy to combat the virus? And please, Mr. Trump, explain why you're still in office. Okay, I'm going to tap the brakes on this episode and set up for the next turn. I'll meet you at the apex in time for the upcoming episode. You've been listening to Full Stop, Hard Left Turn. I'm Phil Hansen, urging you to be safe, be well, be informed, and to keep raising your voice until you have one. Mm-hmm.